Hey listeners, it's Andy, and I'm here to see if you've tried Audible yet. With an incredible selection of audiobooks, it is the perfect way to dive deeper into the stories upon which some of your favorite films are based. Audible members get a credit every month to redeem on any audiobook they like, plus access to a huge plus catalog of podcasts, originals, and more. Just imagine listening to the books that inspired movies like The Bourne Identity, Moneyball, or sci-fi classics like Dune. The best part? You can try Audible free for 30 days and get your first audiobook on them. It's a great way to experience storytelling while supporting this podcast. To get started, go to thenextreel.com slash audible or text thenextreel to 500-500. Listen to incredible audiobooks and support the show today. That's thenextreel.com slash audible. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. I have to find that line now. You should. It's pretty early on. Oh, here. It's never happened. We've never had an unsatisfied customer. I think you, you mean, mean dissatisfied. dissatisfied. That's right. You're a left brain word fetishist. A left brain <laughs> word fetishist. <laughs> oh, it's fetishist? Yeah, fetishist. I thought he said fascist <laughs> this whole time. Uh, that is so funny. Uh, he might, maybe in the movie, he ends up saying fascist. In the script, it's fetishist. I'm going to actually pretend that he keeps saying fascist. I think that makes it better. <laughs> Does that make it better? It makes yeah, it a little makes more. It, makes it mo better. Mo, mo better fascist. It is. It's mo better fascist. Uh, so, um, all right. I this is this is the big change I want to make for today. Are you ready? Okay. I right. yes. All right. Tell me. First of all, where can people find you? Um, where uh, would you like uh, people to find you, Andy? If they were looking for you, if you, I'm going to, we're operating off a presumption mm -hmm. that you're going to say something incredible over the next hour. And I want people to know up front, write it down, get your, get your wee uh, pencil and your moleskine notebooks out and write down, where do I find Andy Nelson? Well, I think, uh, at the movie monkey is fine for Twitter. Okay. That's good. And, you know, Facebook, the movie monkey, too. If they want to converse with me, then Facebook would be the better place to go, I mm. suppose. You if don't they do a lot of want, the replying. If they just want to hear me espouse uh, my uh, brilliant philosophizing of films, then Twitter is probably all they need. Okay. All right. That's good. That's good. Uh, I I also finally, uh, you know, I'm not sure if you actually clicked around, but I I got your bio up on the website. I saw. I well, I saw on, uh, I don't know, on on the 
I don't know if I can say on that one website. Well, no, it's it's actually I've just I've just broken it. I'm going to fix it while we talk. Um, but uh, so you, I've got your I even have your Google Plus page uh, on that in that list of buttons on your bio. I saw that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, and that's that's a good place too. Google Plus is fine. Good, I like that. I look at I look at all of them occasionally. Uh, I look at all of them occasionally. I actually don't look at Twitter. Um, I I just tweet when I need to, and then if somebody comments, I'm usually notified. But I don't regularly. I sit there reading tweets. You don't? Boy, no, I know. I do. I go to bed. What, do, what does that make me? <laughs> a one-way tweeter? Twitterer? <laughs> I don't. You're tweetist. You're a left-brain <laughs> tweet fetishist. Fascist. I'm something. I don't know what it is. I am. Where are you? I'm on the Twitter and the Google Plus and the Facebook, and it's all Pete Wright, except for Google Plus, which is number, 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 number. Just search for me. Oh. Or go to my bio on Rash Pixel TV, and you can find the um, the show I just... hosts. I just clicked on it and it took me right to your Google Plus page. It does. It's that automated. Wow. You'll note I totally cheated after asking you for your bio for so long. I wrote bio coming soon. Yeah, I, I thought that was great. It's I'm coming, like, oh, man. See, it's, no, it's I was very excited to read yours after all that stress I had of coming up with something brilliant for mine, which I'm still not convinced it is. Did you Did you click? Well, you. I think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant. And I don't like the picture you used of me. Oh no! <laughs> I'm not convinced. Oh, it's fine. Yeah, I don't. You, I don't really well, then you send me the other one again. I, I'll look for the other one. You want the one where Wait. you're looking off screen? You know why I didn't use it? Honestly, I had it in there, and oh. um, and it looks like you're looking down, like the Partridge Family. It looks like you're looking down at the show description, which oh, is just I was. Kind of a, maybe hey, I am. Here's maybe a story. I'm reading it. <laughs> yeah, that's what <laughs> you're reading. <laughs> It's like, I, even this picture of me is too good to look you in the eye. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what it says to me. Oh, I'm not, all I see not is, even I, this all picture. All I see is not enough hair. That's all I see. What? Yeah. It's, it's true, but what are you going to do? Oh, I miss these moments. <laughs> uh so that's uh so the we're the website I'm I'm migrating the website post by post and slowly but surely I think on the uh on the uh all of the Rash Pixel shows if you go to the old URLs on the old website they now redirect to the new website the new show page and so people should be able to find it if you just go to um, rashpixel.tv uh slash uh mwl uh and click on one of the shows if you click on any show uh, of the of movies we like on Rash Pixel TV, it'll take you to the new show page. Right. And so there's that. Right. So good luck. And um, it's slick. It's pretty slick. You know, I'm pretty. Uh, I, I'm I'm liking the Squarespace. That's what we're moving on to. Is this uh, Squarespace? I've been a WordPress guy for a long time, but uh, man, I'm liking the Squarespace. I haven't found. You know what it was? I got the uh, the six. Squarespace V6 is this whole new publishing engine. I got a beta code to get in and play with it, and that that renewed it piqued my interest in Squarespace. So I've been having a lot of fun. So I figured this is a good as good a test as any. So I'll start building out the site. So it's going to be broken for a long time. So people who listen to this show, I apologize. 
there's a good chance it's full on broken at, at some percentage until I get all the, I've got, I've got like 400 episodes of, of worth of posts. I've got to get in there for all the different shows. I was going to say, did you look at Joe Waters uh, bio? Joe Waters? I didn't. I was very um, just egotistical. If when you, I if you want to, if you want to see a bio, you look at that guy's bio. Uh-oh. He does the Cause Talk radio show. It's a brand new show, just launched uh, today, in fact. And uh, he, uh, he he co-wrote the um, um, uh, the D- Cause Marketing for Dummies book. And uh, he's got some history, that guy. He's got traction. Oh. Traction. I wow. love that he's on the network. He has a long, a long bio. Well, he has a lot to be proud of. And he has but... incredibly awesome Boston accent. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, and you know, you know, he's talking about something important. We're just, we're no, just yeah, talking he's about he's definitely movies. no, there's <laughs> <laughs> not to diminish it, but you know, saving children talking about David Fincher. Uh, yeah, yeah, especially this uh, week. This is a this is not All right. No, you're right. Hey, and, yeah. hey now. Uh-huh. I'm a fan of this one. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, that's right. Let's do this. Let's do this thing. I'm gonna. I've been putzing around, geeking out over here, trying to get this stupid feed to work for so long. Now, I'm ready to talk about this movie. But oh, we have to talk about some other. So people find you at the movie. I'm at Pete Wright. You know where else you should find us? You should check us out on iTunes. You can subscribe to us, and the link to iTunes is right on the website. If you uh, are on some other platform and don't like iTunes, I absolutely respect you for that. Check out the RSS audio feed. It's right there on the website. And finally, you can hear movies we like on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly on your iPhone, iPad, Android phone, Kindle Fire, and more. Maybe even your BlackBerry Playbook. I'm actually not sure about that. <laughs> you don't have Stitcher, you can download not, it for free. it should be. <laughs> <laughs> At Stitcher.com or find the app in the appropriate app store of your pleasure. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. That's the truth. That is the truth. You know what I think we should start doing? Tell me. To inspire people to comment on uh, iTunes, like the five-star reviews that we get. Yeah. Is that easy? Yeah, we have some of those. Are you you're doing that thing? You're, you're cutting out again. Are you on Wi-Fi? No, I'm not. You've been cutting in and out a little bit. Well, I've actually just been talking that way. Oh, okay. Let me check all of my connections. No, everything's connected. Hmm. That's no good. All right. Well, we'll see how it goes. Adios mio. All right. What do you think we should do to inspire people to comment? Should we should we read our five star reviews that we get on on the air? Yeah, sure. Go for it. Do you have some up and live right now? I have I have the uh, the two five star reviews up. That well, we I, have so I'd far. love to love to hear it. All right. First one. Another great one by Michael Berta. I've oh. been listening to Pete since before Beer 30 Live and enjoyed each edition of his talent. This podcast is no exception. It is insightful, witty, and a joy to listen to each week. I've recommended it to my film buff friends, and I'm sure they'll enjoy it too. I love Mike Berta. I do. Yeah. He's a you know, uh yeah. I it, beer thirty takes me way way back. Way to go, Mike! Thanks for saying something, man. That's very kind to to actually speak up. I don't know him at all, but uh, but he left a great review, and so uh, so thumbs up to Mike. 
and Kira Wright. A great podcast to listen to on a long weekend drive. I enjoy the, the episodes on movies I've seen just as much as I enjoy their banter on movies I haven't or won't. Hoping for many more. <laughs> there, are, there are actually, I, I know her pretty well. Yeah. And there are actually a lot more movies she won't see that we talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I know we're we're gonna have to like work on uh, on hitting some different demographics. We've had some pretty uh, dark series seriously, so far. Seriously, so you wanted to talk about a trailer, some trailer, some such trailer. Wait a minute, did you was this? <clears throat> did we already talk about Star Wars 3D? Was that last week? Um, no. All right. Well, go Wait. ahead. No, no, no. I did. Okay, so yeah, I saw Star Wars Episode One 3D. Uh, and I really felt like tearing my eyeballs out for <laughs> the duration of it. It was it was awful. It was amazing how painful it was. I went. I I really had no intention of going at all. And it was one of those things where, in a twenty four hour period of time, I started thinking about when I first saw Star Wars, meaning Episode Four, when I was a kid, and I was four years old. My daughter's five. And, you know, Star Wars has had such a huge influence on me. I'm just like, God, I really, I would love to take her to Star Wars and show that to her. So I decided to take her. Now, you know, to be fair, I took her to a a, a seven o'clock show, which means that her bedtime fell right in the middle of the movie. So she kind of got pretty tired and ended up falling asleep through the uh, last third of the film. Which but, is uh, the the more admirable part of the film anyway. The, yeah, it was the only part. Like, she fell asleep, and my wife, when I told her what happened, she's like, well, why didn't you just come home? And I was like, well, because I finally got to the point where I was actually wanting to watch yeah, it. Yeah, that was... So did the... Because the, the yeah, that that's the that's the, the Star Wars Carmina Burana scene. <laughs> <laughs> the big fight in the hangar with Darth Maul exactly which i i'm ape for that scene i love that it's fun it's a lot of fun how do, okay uh, so what did the did the 3d add anything or was it just was it just dumb no i mean it's i've never had a problem with the 3d i enjoy it um the thing i i enjoy the least about 3d and i i notice it a lot more in the conversions like lion king and this it's just so much darker so much darker when you um, are watching the, you know, the double projection and you have those glasses on. And I I just get, it's just such a muddy image and, and it's, it looks nice. I enjoy the um, depth of the world and, and particularly for this, it's not obviously wasn't designed with like lightsabers poking you in the eyes or anything like that. So, so that wasn't obnoxious in that 3D sense. It just it just enveloped the world, and there was so much digital creation in it anyway that you know, for all intents and purposes, they were able to go back and kind of redesign all of the CG in 3D. And so, I mean, it did look pretty nice, hmm. but you know, it doesn't help things like Jar Jar Binks, um, Jake Lloyd, and I, I really I I always hesitate blaming Jake Lloyd because. From what I've heard, he's done good acting jobs in other films that he had been in around the time. But I really just have to blame the awful script. And it was just, oh, it's just painful to sit through. It was not good. And all the stuff about the midichlorian count. That, that like, you know what, that's that oh. scene on the, uh, it. Uh, I'm even going to give you Jake Lloyd. I'm going to give mm -hmm. you, I mean, directors have casting aneurysm. 
I get mm-hmm. it. That happens sometimes where you have an otherwise good script with a bad choice of a kid. That's fine. Kids are tough to work with. I yeah. get it. <clears throat> Midichlorians is what destroyed the mythos. Yeah, exactly. It destroyed it. It absolutely it it wrote Star Wars on a book of flash paper and set a match to it. That's what it did. It just it it burned it up. Why did they have to mess it up like that? Yeah, that was, it was I don't know. terrible. It was, and and you know it's it was interesting going back and watching it again because you know <laughs> just watching great actors Liam Neeson, Ewan McGregor, Natalie Portman. Um, uh, Terrence Howard, you know, yeah. just all of the not Terrence Howard. Um, no. Who? Uh, who what's are his you name? Talking about? Uh, Ter- oh, Terrence, the, the uh, Trent Darby. Ter- Terrence Stamp. Terrence Stamp Terrence is Darby. the who is General Zod. I knew you were. I knew who you were thinking of. <laughs> uh, they, they're such great actors, but they all just feel so. Uh, just lethargic almost you know they're just they don't know what to do with the script and it's just it's so clunky and painful to watch um and you know it was it was telling to me that the part that my five-year-old daughter enjoyed the most was jar jar binks that's what she really enjoyed and you know i'm like okay so it's it's designed for five-year-olds despite the incredible amount of political banter you know, which which did bore her, but uh, all the little Jar Jar Binks hijinks kept her entertained while she was awake. That's and, really uh, that's really interesting because you remember two. they they really, in, in many respects, fixed two and three, and the politics are what actually let you hang on. I think in those movies, but yeah, for me anyway, this one this was just. But but I have to see it, and I I owe it to my kids. I really feel it. it's just like you. I owe it to my kids. Uh, cause I don't want them to, I want them to have that theater experience like I did. And this was, this was my daughter's, like, I haven't shown her any of the movies up till this point. Oh my God. So this yeah, my, really truly yeah. was her first Star Wars experience. And it's I, funny cause I, I sort I told of her, wish like, that I had known I would have held off, but my, my daughter's nine, you know, she's seen them all. She, she can sure. recite her favorite lines from empire. Well, it's funny. I told my daughter, I was going to take her to a movie and, and she's like, Oh, which one? And I'm like, Star Wars. And she's like, Daddy, that's for boys. <laughs> no. So I'm like, no, it's for everyone. There's a queen in it. <laughs> so, see, and actually, she, episodes she did... four, five, and six were so much better because that, you know, I think that um, Carrie Fisher as a role model for young women made it a much stronger film. Yeah, and, I, you know, I, I, that's, yeah. And Natalie Portman did a fine job, but it's just, you know, she, she can't she, do much. She ain't, with she ain't no Carrie Fisher. Crap. Yeah, but my daughter did dress up like a uh, princess. That she is great. Out, so that was at least fun. <laughs> so, but yeah, I saw that. And then I saw Journey to the Mysterious Island. I was wondering if you were going to catch that. And when we talked about the trailer, I, you didn't seem uh, very excited about it. I, well, that's because I hadn't even heard about it when we talked about the trailer. <laughs> I didn't even know they were making it. So it was not one of those ones that I was, again, I wasn't planning on seeing. But uh, um, a buddy and I, we both took our kids to it. And, uh, you know, it was more entertaining than Star Wars. <laughs> wow. It's, it still wasn't anything great, but I wasn't. it wasn't grabbing at my eyeballs trying to rip them out. So. Wow, that's sad. <laughs> we need another good adventure. 
I know. What happened to all the good kid adventure movies? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. All right. Well, uh, I let's see. I, oh, but I but ahead. I did see that great trailer, and this is what you had asked me was. What yeah. What's was? What's the great trailer about? Please share. Uh, it's called Seeking a Friend for the End of the World, <laughs> which again I hadn't even heard of this film, and uh, um, somebody sent it to me, um, and it's it's Steve Carell and Kira Knightley in this comedy where you know they find out that you know this huge meteor is hurling toward the earth and in i can't remember three weeks or something it's going to hit the earth and destroy it and you see just like steve carell's you know not done anything with his life and he's miserable and and he goes into work and and the boss is just like oh well you know who wants to be cfo and you know it's, it's just really <laughs> It was really funny. And just like people are breaking down into tears everywhere. And, you know, he has Kira Knightley's his neighbor and they end up she ends up helping him try finding his lost love. And he tries helping her find her family. And it looked like a really fun concept for a film. So that's one that I a trailer I saw that uh, I'm quite excited to see. She uh, OK, two comments. A, she doesn't look particularly mannish in this movie, <laughs> which I think is something it's that's one of the things she fights. Uh, and the second is, who plays the dog? I know that dog. Do you? <laughs> Do you know the dog? I don't know the dog. I, I'm sorry. I, I'm not up on my uh, film you, movie dog. You're telling me that that dog doesn't look at all familiar to you? Uh, mm. There's got to be full, let's see, full cast and crew. Uh, find dog. Dog trainer, dog trainer. I don't know if you're going to find that. I only have Sue Chipperton and Sarah Clifford as dog trainers. Sarah Clifford actually was the animal coordinator. Apparently the dog plays a big enough role to have two dog people on cast. <laughs> uh, but I also I don't see the headshot for the dog in the cast, cast list. Uh, Shocking. Shocking. <laughs> famous dogs. Okay, well, I can move on from that. Uh, I've had a, I've had a, believe it or not, a and he didn't make it to the. His name's not on the movie poster. No, he didn't. Just really, his... he looks like Benji though. Like when I look at the poster, it looks like Benji. Yeah, which obviously it's not because you know Benji's dead. Sorry, children. <laughs> <laughs> That's just like a horrible thing to say. Benji's dead, <laughs> like your future. Because of the internet and robots. Uh, your future, because the world's about to be destroyed. <laughs> I mean, you're, we're on so many strange tangents tonight. I, anyway, I, I tell me about your non-movie week. No, I had a terrible week for, for movies, you know, because I was sick sick last week. And then this week, I was I, my uh, lovely wife had a travel week for work. And so it's just been me with the kids. And so we've watched a metric boatload of Smallville season two. Oh yeah that's and, right i forgot you were watching those yeah yeah we're cranking through it nearing the end of smallville season two with the kids they're loving it i it's not a bad show i'm i'm you know, going back to it for for that kind of age it's uh it's it's entertaining i like that mm. that uh that hunky tom welling we just saw the episode where christopher reeve did his guest appearance i had no idea he did he well he did that and uh you know, wow, what he's still, there he is tied up or tied down to that wheelchair with that trach coming out of his neck. And he still looks so strong 
you know, like that guy, I just see him and I'm like, well, clearly he's pretending because look how big he is, like strong. Yeah. And he just looks like a, like a, a brick house. He's still suit. You take off that cardigan sweater and I'm sure he's still wearing the uniform under there. Uh, <laughs> it was just, it was sad, but it, it was, it, it was, um, it was neat. It was good because they brought the score. That was the first episode where they brought the score from, from the original movie into uh, the show. And so mm -hmm. when he discovers it's, it's Christopher Reeve who reveals that, uh, you know, that, that young uh, Clark Kent is from Krypton and uh, how he got there. <clears throat> and that as he's revealing the big secret, you hear the ba, 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 ba. You know, it's mm -hmm. just, it's really very touching for those of us who were, who grew up with that theme yeah i thought it was a, it was great we just just wrapped that up so it was very much a uh tv week and um, so i didn't catch any movies uh i think next week i'm on for um i'll see now i've i've just forgotten it how can i i actually have a movie date uh with a buddy to see a movie that uh, i have not seen and i'm very excited about it but uh i've just forgotten what it was that's coming out next weekend? Yes, it it is pretty new. Um yeah. Probably Catherine Heigel's new one, huh? <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna line up for that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that we one, should do a Catherine Heigel bad comedy or series. Or this means war. Maybe I'll do oh. this means war. Oy, yeah. yeah. No, I, I don't remember. I, I can I'll tell you what it's not. It's not Underworld Awakening. That's one for, it's not, huh? for rental. Yeah. No. Okay. So let's talk about oh, this. Uh, what? What do you got? Oh, okay, I, I saw. I saw one more. Uh, I did see a, a DVD. I rented, um, trying to catch up on all my Oscar uh, picks, mm. and it was um, a Better Life, mm. for which uh, Demian uh, Bichin, I think something like that, um, was nominated for Best Actor. And uh, a great movie. And uh, Demian Bichir is his name. And he uh, definitely deserves to be nominated for Best Actor. It's a fantastic performance. Great film. And uh, yeah, it was a real nice surprise. I didn't, uh, I completely missed that movie when it, it must have just kind of skipped by real quickly in theaters. Wow. Yeah, so, that's, uh, that's fantastic. Yeah, definitely worth watching. Right. So, I figured it out. So, it's Ghost Rider: Spirit of Vengeance. Oh, of course you are. I should have known. It's because of the. It's because of the directors. Ah, uh, yes. They're insane. Have you seen the <laughs> behind the scenes of these? They're insane. I I haven't. I They're haven't. crazier than the stunt people. Like they do all, all right. that you should see them. It's like sixty miles an hour on a skateboard, hand holding the camera, uh, being oh, dragged behind a car to shoot the motorcycle <laughs> scenes. It's unbelievable. So I'm, I'm stoked to see that one. I, I think that's, they're really, they're known for the, the directorial antics. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay. We got to yes, talk about this movie. Yes. We got to move on. Yes. Yes. Let's, let's jump into the game. Let's jump into the game. Okay. Um, so, so this, I emailed you. Okay. Go yes. ahead. You do, no, do no, the no. background, do the background. Do you want me to oh. talk about my email? Yeah. Talk about the email. All right. First. So I was, I was, really surprised because my memory of this movie was really strong right i i really 
I remember this as being formative for me, particularly in my opinion of David Fincher as a director and, um, you know, in just, you know, that, that sort of genre thriller, um, the suspense thriller kind of a, kind of a thing. And, and, um, and it just did not hold up for me. I mean, it's been years since I've seen it and I watched it and I realized I found myself, I, I, in, in some places sort of offended, uh, by by it like it, it just it, it so i wrote you this email and i told you this i said this movie has not held up for me and it's 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 angering me and uh and then you hadn't watched it at that point uh, uh and so uh how uh how does how does it sit for you the game david venture you know for me it was one that i always bought into like the the crazy rules of this world that we're in and I still loved it. I watched it again and I loved it. And I know it's one that a lot of people don't, uh, it's, it, I think in the, in the, uh, all of the works of David Fincher, I think this and alien three are usually kind of his, um, toward the bottom of people's lists. Well, that's the funny thing. I'm actually really looking forward to seeing alien three now because I actually think I'll like it better than I like this interesting uh but but it's for a different reason like i for me the reason it didn't hold up is is because it 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 feels extremely dated to me uh i the the foundation of the film the sort of um cosmic foundation of the film is built on the premise that we are to feel some sort of emotional sadness some sort of emotional tie to the sadness that this ex extravagantly wealthy protagonist has in his life and i found myself offended because i don't feel sorry for sad rich people and and that's how like how can i have a character um you know a character connection and feel anything for this character which which is the the basis for how i feel something for the movie when I just don't like him and I don't buy that. So the, I, I guess my point is, I wonder how I would have uh, reacted to this film, you know, three years ago. Um, and I'm not, I'm not a crazy, you know, I'm, I'm not out there protesting and, you know, pooping in the park. I'm, I, I, not that they're not that that's crazy. That poop in the park is crazy. I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, I've, I've dug myself a hole. I'm going to move on from it. I, I did not protest, but I have a really hard time, you know, with uh, with feeling a strong connection, a strong empathy with a, a character that is so clearly part of, you know, as long as we're in the whole part of the one percent. Sure. Right. Right. Oh, I'm well, so sad for you and all your money. <laughs> <laughs> we're not sad for him because of his money. We're sad for him because he's lonely. <laughs> By okay. a friend, now, dude. No, I'm sorry. You can't. No, everybody knows. Money can't so, buy friendship. Yeah, that's right. Well, so here's here's the thing. I mean, there's this whole philosophy in modern screenwriting um, called Save the Cat, right? This, this uh, book came out, um, I don't know when it came out, a few years ago, sometime in the last five years. It's called Save the Cat uh, by, you know... Um, a guy, Blake Snyder, wrote this book, and the whole premise of the idea of Save the Cat is you can make your story about anybody 
Uh, but what you have to do is you have to have a scene early on where we meet meet the hero uh, or, or the protagonist and they do something like saving a cat that defines who they are and makes your audience like them, even if it's an unlikable character. Um, an example that I heard somebody talking about was uh, the movie The 25th Hour, which I don't remember very well, but Edward Norton is the protagonist. He's this guy. He's got like... 24 hours before he has to go turn himself into prison and he's he did some crimes and he, it's him kind of coming to terms with you know basically paying paying the price for the crimes that he's committed right but right toward the beginning of the film like he saves a dog and uh, i mean quite literally i mean it's instead of a cat it's a dog but it's quite literally taking um you know, doing what the title suggests, you know, he's, he's doing that thing that makes you like him, even though he's kind of still not that likable of a character, but by doing that, the audience connects with him. And that is one thing that I did notice while I watched this is you're right. There's nothing that Nicholas Van Orton does in this film, um, in the beginning that makes you like him at all. There's nothing. No, there is. You're absolutely right. There is nothing. And and I think I think you have you've described, you know, you've described my feeling really perfectly, and you, you at least that that supports my feeling really perfectly. He's, yeah, he's not redeeming now. Uh there there are some things I I dearly love about how the movie was constructed. Even though I'm finding that I don't actually like the movie all that much, I absolutely appreciate a few things that still surprise me, and. Uh, the first of those is the gambit is revealed so clearly in the beginning, and yet the suspense still builds to the end. Yeah. That's that's really remarkable, just how obvious the, the game really is uh, in the first 25 minutes of the movie as the, as it is revealed and, uh, uh, and and yet you he there is still this bit of sort of wonder toward the end. Well, let me let me ask you a question. Jump back in time to 1997 um, when this film was released. Try to remember when you first saw it. Did you buy into this whole story all the way to the end and and the big reveal, or did you the whole time were you like, oh, it's just a game. It's this is all part of the game. Like, were you one of those people who, quote unquote, caught on and knew what was going on the whole time? Man, I don't really have a memory of that. I, I don't I, I don't know. I mean, I think I, 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 I what I imagine now kind of trying to manufacture hindsight is that uh, <laughs> uh, is that it was some some feeling of, OK, it's part of the game. And why? Why doesn't he get it? Why does you know, it's that like I this is one of those movies I would have been yelling at. Huh. You know what I mean? No, don't don't go in the door. Don't no no. Right. See, I I totally bought into it. I I bought into the whole thing like, oh, it's a game. And then when the whole big reveal comes, when oh, they're really just scamming him. They're they're using all these tools to really rob him. I was totally convinced that that was really what was happening. Yeah. And then and then everything builds to the end and. You know, you you think that, you know, he kills his brother and just all this awful stuff. Like, I totally bought into it all the way through to the end when he crashes. He jumps off the building, crashes through the glass, lands on the bag. And I was like, oh, my God, it all really was a game. 
Like I mm. totally was was in it, hook, line, and sinker all the way through, and I loved it. Um, Chad, our buddy who was on the show for the Social Network episode, he was like he knew the whole time that it was a game, and I I don't know I just I guess I just bought into it and I just kind of went along for the ride the whole time. Wow, I guess there are those I guess there there really are two two ways to go. You either buy it or you don't, and you yeah. get to be surprised. You get to be surprised or you get to be right. Well, but see, I see it either way. It's going to end up being a surprise. And and maybe I'm just defending myself for not catching on. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, if but it I think it would be it's an interesting surprise at the end when you find out it's just a game and you see how they how they end it and how how the big reveal happens when you find out it is just a game. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is, but it's also a surprise. Like it would have been a surprise if it went down that other road where, you know, he thinks it's a game, but it's really just this, this crazy machination that these people have come up with to steal money from the one percent. And and if they if they went down that road and and ended it on that path, I think I would have been equally sold. You know, well then it's it a, then it's a Robin Hood story. Oh, it's a burglar story i don't know it, it, they'd have yeah, to I mean, it's a heist it yeah, yeah it's a right, heist yeah. it's a heist story but either way i mean it, you don't actually have to give to the poor when you're when you're part of the 99 percent in order to give it <laughs> in order to be a robin Hood story because you you just keep it you're already poor <laughs> you're already yeah, right 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 yeah I, okay i well I, so i think that that's one of the film's really strongest merits is the general construction uh of it um and and yet uh, you know it it didn't it, it sort of middling performance in the box office yeah it wasn't a huge success i mean i think they spent about um 50 million yeah. on the making the film um it made just under that uh domestically and uh about 60 million uh, internationally. And so it ended up bringing in about 110 million. So, I mean, you know, it made its money back. It got, um, more money on DVD. So I think that they probably at least broke even on it. Hmm. How do you, uh, how does this movie, how does it stand up in the canon of David Fincher to you? I mean, do you, does this really, does this fit as a, we're talking about David Fincher and, and we, we've, we're doing this in reverse and now we hit this movie, his, you know, his, his third sort of major motion picture. And does it, does it feel like it fits there? Yeah, it's, it does. I mean, it's another genre film, you know, he's, he's proven himself. Um, by this point he's made, he had made a sci-fi, he had made a, uh, you know, kind of a, a police, serial killer thriller and now he's kind of made a kind of a neo-noir uh psychological thriller mm -hmm. so you know i think he's it's just another another uh link in the chain of genre films that he'd been making up to that point so i don't think um it felt out of the ordinary for him to be making this as a film you know i mean if you look at the way it was shot everything about it really feels very fincher yeah yeah it does 
it feels so. it feels very tied in with um you know with seven i mean you can sort of feel the variations on a theme in terms of general sort of shot structure it's cut clumsily um <laughs> I, I was not a fan of the editing there are scenes where it's it feels oddly uh oddly paced uh the dog scene strikes me uh where the dog is chasing him down the the alley and they're climbing up on the on the the um yeah the the things uh and and it feels like they run a, a little way down the down the narrow alleyway and then the dog runs like three miles behind them like the, <laughs> the distance the dog ran is significantly longer than they ran to get there and it, it felt like sort of a a b-movie kind of a uh clumsy uh editing choice knowing yeah. full well that they needed to buy enough time for the actual scene to play out uh, it, it just felt clumsy. And I, it's not the only sort of instance where mm-hmm. it just felt clumsy to me. However, the, you know, you go back to the premise and, and one of the quotes, I can't, I honestly can't remember where I, I read this as I was reading it, but it was one of those, um, Fincher quotes, uh, talking about the, the, his initial intentions of the film, which was oh, yeah. to, to take your greatest fear, uh, put it right in your face and say, see, you're still alive. It's yeah. okay. You know, right, that, that, right. that, that was the sense. And, and I feel like, uh, it, it makes more sense knowing that from him, the movie makes more sense knowing that was his intention. I did not get that from just watching the film. Hmm. See, and I do get that from watching the film. So it's interesting. Um, it's it's one of those films where I you know he doesn't save the cat at the beginning of the film, but for some reason there's something about I don't know if it's Michael Douglas or what that just I do connect to his character, and I'm along for the ride all the way through, and like his character arc as he you know finds out what happened at the end, and. You know, Spike Jones is there wiping the glass off his face. And everything was he and, even Spike Jones at this point? Yeah, he was. He was. He was already a, a big music director. Okay, music video director. But um, and then you know, Sean Penn comes out with that shirt. <laughs> you know, whatever. Uh, I was drugged and left for dead in Mexico, yeah. and all I got was this <laughs> stinking shirt, whatever. Which is, I, I just I want was, that shirt. That's that is clever. Shirt. <laughs> But and and he Michael Douglas realizes uh, what's going on and he kind of breaks down and you see that man who's been you know he, he just a terrible man who through all of this you know deals with his past with his father committing suicide and and getting over his his coldness and is finally able to be reborn essentially and. I thought that was just genius. And I, I always loved that construction at the end and especially how Michael Douglas played it. Um, yeah, I, I, I always bought into the world. It's, it's one of those wor- things where it's like, you know, people are going to ask, it's like, seriously, are they able to, I mean, they have to get like essentially half of the people in the city of San Francisco involved in this elaborate hoax. Not only that, but like Daniel Shore at CNN, you know, yeah, like that, which was brilliant. People, that that yeah, scene was. was actually terrific. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, it's, but you, you start realizing how many people are on the payroll for this game. And that was a big question I, I wanted to ask him. Like, how, how big do you think that bill was at the end? Oh, you really want to know, right? I mean, that's that's the... <laughs> uh, uh, I, I, I think I've 
I may be putting my finger on one of the reasons I had such trouble with with uh, uh, Nicholas Van Orton, and I think it's because of Gordon Gecko. Huh. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's the same character. Right. right. Really. I mean, ten years earlier, uh, Michael Douglas plays Nicholas Van Orton as Gordon Gecko in Wall Street. We didn't like him. He goes to jail. He's a jerk. Ten years go by. It's essentially the same guy played by the same actor, and he's all sad and lonely. <laughs> and he doesn't save the cat. We know he doesn't save the cat because he's a jerk in this movie ten years ago. So I think that was that's, that's one of the reasons. I think maybe uh, as a thought experiment, what would it have been like uh, if, uh, you know, Kyle MacLachlan and Bridget Fonda had actually, uh, been in the movie as were originally <laughs> intended, uh, yeah, it, it would have I been me- a different movie. Well, yeah, I mentioned that to my wife and she's like, seriously, that would have been horrible. It probably, well, probably, it probably horrible. It would have been. It, uh, <laughs> well, and, and, and for all intents and purposes, I mean, that was a different script when they were yeah, signed on, yeah, yeah. you know, that was when it was first the first draft or I don't know if it's the first draft, but the initial script by John Brancato and Michael Ferris. And this was back in 91 when they were attached to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that would have been a very interesting, I would love to get a hold of that script and see how it's changed. Fincher has a quote. Um, let me find it here. Uh, talking about the, the film, he says there were three primary influences on the game. Michael Douglas's character was a fashionable, good-looking Scrooge lured into a Mission Impossible situation with a steroid shot in the thigh from the sting. So those were kind of... See, I liked all three of those movies. Yeah. And and then he also says, this film uh, differs from other kinds of films because movies usually make a pact with the audience that says, we're going to play it straight, what we show you is going to add up, but we don't do that. In that respect, it's about movies and how movies dole out information. And I think that's true because I think a lot of people have a problem with this film because they find the uh, all of those little um, bits of the game to be just so far-fetched that just, people by the end of it are just like, oh, come on, seriously? Mm-hmm. You know, now they drove him to Mexico and left him in a grave in the middle of, you know, some random little town in the middle of nowhere. Uh, you know, people just start kind of tune out, I think. Um, but, you know, I don't think from this, it sounds like it was never their intention to play it straight, to to be a realistic movie. It was always designed to be a movie that just kind of tells you a story about this guy. Well, and that gets back to this idea of the construction. And when you look at, you know, Mission Impossible and The Sting, uh, mm-hmm. both of those movies, uh, in contrast with the game, betray your faith by 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 exposing the trick at the end that you were not aware of, right? Did Mission Impossible? Yeah. Uh well, what I'm thinking of is the is uh, the mask, all the mask pulling off. But you know, it's been a long time oh, since I've seen that right. too. Uh, yeah. But but, but yeah, I mean that's the, yeah. Th- there is something going on that we the audience are not aware of, and it is revealed at the end. And in this movie, uh, 
even though we don't, it's not like we have a bullet point list of all the, you know, tricks they're going to pull on him. We know because of the explicitness of the setup and finally Daniel Shore saying the game has started. Mm -hmm. uh, we know that everything that comes afterwards is the game. And that is, it, it's almost like Fincher took this movie on a dare that said, what if we set up this rule as a filmmaker that you have to tell the secret at the beginning? How would you make a movie like this? Like, that would be a great film school class uh, assignment. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I'm going to set up a challenge for you that is, that is, requires a, a great deal of art and craft to, to write your way out of. Yeah. Uh, and because that's what this movie feels like. It feels like a, it feels like an assignment. Um, and on that, I think it succeeds. Sure. You don't even care what I'm saying. No, I, I, I see what you're saying. And I, and I agree. I mean, it does have that sort of feel. It, it does feel kind of like they were testing themselves. They were seeing if they could kind of make it work. And they were just trying some new things to see, okay, if we did this, what would happen? If we did this, what would happen? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. The, um, the interesting thing is that Fincher was planning on making this before seven. Uh, but Brad Pitt became available and so they were able to jump on seven. So the big question is if this was his first film, well, I should say his first film after the alien yeah. three debacle, would his career have been able to continue or would it have pushed him back into commercials and that would have been it? Well, he probably, uh, because I mean, just, just assuming that this film was released as it is, as it, as his second film, it, you know, even though it was sort of mediocre in the box office, it wasn't bad. I mean, the, the, uh, it, it got, it, the reviews were strong, uh, overall from the, the big key, uh, key reviewers. I mean, Ebert, it wasn't a four star review, but it was close. Um, mm -hmm. it, it, it's, uh, there, there were some nice comments about, um, uh, uh, nice comments about the just general structure of the film that that it uh, that it pulled it pulled well then and when you think about the sort of cultural context of 1997, um, you know the story fit better, I think culturally, and and was uh, was accepted uh, better than I think it would be has it been made now. So I I don't I, you know the, I guess the question is would he have been allowed to. Uh, make a movie like seven immediately after this right you know yeah, what, I mean, what, it, what comes after the game uh yeah it could very well have pushed him into a world where he just was directing um assignments you yeah. know he could have been directing um I, i'm trying to think what came out around then uh 98 99 i don't know but yeah he could very well have just been making sequels to bad movies and you know nothing nothing that was as great as uh, he, seven or he Fight could Club. have he could have done armageddon he could have been the next <laughs> michael bay he could but you know 90 I, immediately after this there were some really strong films that that came out uh and and 1998 it was a it was a good year for for um for genre movies, you know, I mean, if we had uh, Saving Private Ryan came out uh, in in ninety eight, um, A Bug's Life. Uh, I know you loved Deep Impact. 
Is that 98? Yeah, uh, that uh, that hit uh, Tay Leone, Robert Duvall vehicle. Uh, the best part of that movie was watching that tidal wave just smack <laughs> Tay Leone. <laughs> that was the best part of that movie. Oh, <laughs> oh that's good. That's, oh, Truman Show. The Truman Show was that year. Oh, yeah, that was a good movie. That was, that was, a, good, that was a great great movie all right well uh, i uh in general i you know, i was just i think my um if if i were to have some closing comments on that i don't have anything else to say on this movie do you have anything else to say uh just on the production of it any other uh well i i have one i don't i don't have a whole lot to say production wise on this one but i did want to just say one um one bit uh i of roger ebert's review um because i think he also i mean he liked it so, you know, he's, I think, um, on, uh, on my side, I guess, mm-hmm, <laughs> since I mm-hmm. seem to like it more than you do. But um, this, this line here, I think, kind of sums it up nicely. He says, of course, many of the physical details of what happens to him being Nicholas Van Orton are implausible or even impossible. But so what? The events are believable in the sense that events can be believed in a nightmare. You can hardly worry about how a horror has been engineered when you're trapped inside it. You know, it, it, to me, that just kind of, you know, defined why the why the this world worked for me. And I wasn't concerned about, you know, were there really scuba divers outside of that taxi cab when it plunged into the bay? And, you know, just all of those sorts of things, like how they worked out the intricacies of making sure he jumped off the building in the exact right spot. That it, That is it, the, so to speak, the biggest leap of faith. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> No pun intended. Right. Uh, but it's, you know, I, I I like it. It's just a really interesting character study about a uh, a real uh, not nice character who goes through one of the most um, awful comeuppances, I guess, <laughs> that uh, I've seen since A Christmas Carol, maybe. And it's uh, it's really interesting to see how he... Uh, grows and changes. I, I like it. You think he grows and changes? Yeah, don't you? By the end of it, he realizes, you know, he's he's kind of purged all of the darkness. And I, I think at the end of the film, he realizes there's more to life, and he's he's able to make up with the um, uh, what's his name's character, the uh, Armin Mueller stall, Anson Bear, the the yeah. other publisher, and it's you know I think he's going to make a change. I I think you're probably right. I buy that, but the the uh, the only thing I would say is, and and I think where the film falls short for me again in that character development category is that I think uh, I would phrase that at the end of the movie we are we see that he has reached this point of change not by the end of the movie to me by the end implies that you have actually been able to bear witness to his change through the course of the film and i don't i feel like it's sort of sprung on us at the end like we see him having reached the change in his life not reaching the change and and uh, you know it may be an issue of semantics but but for me that's a character sort of evolutionary character pacing issue um so no, and, that, and actually, that's a very, very valid point. And it's a great way to describe it. I think you hit it uh, pretty nicely saying that. Um, again, it doesn't bother me that the change happens so late, but uh, um, but I do um, I do see 
how it could bother one. One meaning me. Don't worry, I hear you. <laughs> Loud and clear, dude. Loud and one clear. One meaning you. One uh, meaning you. You're the, um, I guess I can call you the, uh, oh, now I, I don't have it anymore. Armin Mueller-Stahl? You're, you're the left-brain word <laughs> fetishist. <laughs> fascist. I'm a fascist. <laughs> uh okay so next week we're gonna uh we're gonna i've been looking forward to this since we started this damn series i know uh okay we should we talk about what version we're gonna watch though we're gonna do seven next week yeah uh what version version. no isn't there wasn't there like a uh there wasn't a director's cut extended edition let me tell you why i i say that the version of it that i have the reason it makes me suspicious I have the very first DVD release of it, which I ripped, but it required a, uh, it was, <laughs> my DVD of it was double-sided Oh, because my goodness. they couldn't fit the whole DVD on one. It was like the very first DVD that came out. Wow. Wow. Right. That and Stargate and it was double-sided <laughs> and so it makes me think it's been re-released now and has more to it but you're saying i don't have to worry about that it doesn't have more to it um they they repackaged it as a special edition i think it came out in 2000 or right after sometime after fight club before panic room yeah and um they did a very very thorough um kind of going through and remastering the color and just making it look gorgeous again. And um, I don't know if the DVD, the initial DVD press that you had, I don't, th- I think it's probably just pulled straight from the, um, I, I don't know what they pulled it from the laser disc version or something. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it was. I, I'm, yeah. I'm sure it was. I'm really interested in your take on the actual film process on this movie next yeah week. that's that's it's an, it's an interesting process they that they went through yeah. with it they didn't they did a film process on the game too something that i hadn't heard of before um and i didn't have time to look up what it was it was called the uh oh, what was it called the uh i can't remember some acronym uh where the they shot it in a certain way with the film ENR, a printing process known as ENR, which lent a smoother look to the night sequences. Yeah. I'm that. not quite sure what that is, but that's, yeah, that's what was, they did in the game. To, it was very uh, smooth, very smooth. They, and they really kept it dark. They, that's one thing I know. Um, well, it's just uh, dark, of, dark film. One of the, um, the, the commentators I read in, in kind of reading up on the, the background of the film noted something that I had not, I had not noticed, which was every time Nicholas Van Orton pulled up to the driveway at his house, it was light outside. But by the time he reached his house, it was dark. Hmm. Right. And uh so and the the comment was what does he have a 300 mile driveway uh <laughs> and and i i don't i don't think he does i think it's an it, it, if you look at it that way it's a really interesting sort of character choice that every time he goes home he is in the dark both literally right. and sort of metaphysically and emotionally and when he goes out into san francisco like here's this dark character sort of fighting this the the light 
that is yeah. that is actually out there in his life. I think that was a that was a really interesting thing to note, and I that is one area where I, I look at that not as a continuity issue, but as as a a really interesting visual choice. Definitely. So definitely, it, right. it is really interesting. What I'd like to end on this this silly little note. As I was reading the script, um, I was at the uh, right when we started this. I was at the point when he was doing his tests at mm-hmm. uh, at CRS toward the beginning, mm-hmm. and it's the montage sequence where uh, he's answering the uh, little true false questions, um, and the three questions that they have in the script are: I often feel someone is following me. True false. <laughs> I hate vegetables, true, false. Vegetables hate me, <laughs> true, false. <laughs> yeah, that's a good a place as any to answer. Uh, oh, any, you got anything else? The, uh, no, I wanted to end that. I know, you're good. Oh, so I'm good. Was... I want to end on save the cat, people. Go save the cat. Yes. <laughs>